0: of that amazing story, that amazing reading, uh, the calling of the disciples, and in Luke 5, 11, it says this, so they pulled up their boats on shore, and they left everything and followed him. They followed Jesus. And I sometimes wonder what the families of the disciples must have thought when that happened. Have you ever wondered that? In a culture where people were so dependent upon their families for their livelihoods, for their survival, and what kind of man causes someone to leave everything behind to follow them, to surrender their home life, their job, their family, and security to someone else? That's what the first disciples did for Jesus. Can you imagine uh, Peter's wife, as Peter goes back home later that afternoon and says, sorry, honey, I'm not going to be around for dinner. I'm going out with the boys. And she says, oh, really? Where are you going? What's going on? And he says, yes, we found this guy, Jesus. I'm going to be his disciple. I'm going to follow him. I've given up my job. Uh, Hope that's okay. I'll see you around. I mean, what do you think Peter's wife thought at that What about poor Zebedee, James and John's dad? I always feel sorry for Zebedee in this story because he's just left in a boat with loads of fish. He's left on the boat of the shore of Galilee with hundreds of fish, and his boys just walk off. I mean, that's a bit rude, isn't it? Like, what were they thinking? What kind of man causes this kind of reaction? What kind of man causes this level of surrender in someone's life? Well, Jesus, that's who. And you know what? It is entirely the right response. Beautiful, wonderful, powerful, gracious Jesus. Because you see, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes everything. And he causes us to surrender our all to him, to surrender our hearts to him. A little while ago, Uh, I received a Facebook message from an old school friend, and um, at school, he was a strident atheist and enjoyed taking the Michael out of Christians and thought it was a load of nonsense. Um, And then we kind of went, you know, we we got out of school. We went our separate ways, and then um, about 10 years after finishing school, I got this message telling me that he had got married, and in the process of getting married, he'd gone on an alpha course as an introduction to faith, and he had become a Christian. And uh, a year after that date, he wrote this on social media. He said, one year ago today, the biggest plot twist happened in my life. I became a Christian. I didn't lose my mind. I didn't abandon reason. Or leap into wish fulfillment, I searched the evidence and became convinced that it's all true. And then this is the thing. In the 12 months since then, I'll put my teeth in. In the 12 months since then, my life has been transformed. My life has been transformed to the point that I barely recognize myself today. Jesus is alive. Jesus transforms lives And you know, that is as much true for the longtime Christian, the Christian who grew up in a Christian family, who has slowly and steadily grown in faith, as for the sudden conversion, like my friend David, where it all happens at once. Jesus transforms our lives. C.S. Lewis described it as a revolution, and he used the image of the Copernican Revolution where before that time, scientists, people had believed that the universe revol- revolves around the earth. And then after that time, there was this revelation this, this, and revolution where the world and the universe revolves around the sun. And C.S. Lewis said that when someone becomes a Christian, the world no longer revolves around themselves, me, myself, and I. But our lives revolve around the sun, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul described it like this. He called himself a servant or even a slave sometimes of Christ. Not because his life was miserable. Paul was filled with joy. He was the Apostle of joy. But because he considered his life no longer his own. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in a sense, that is exactly what happened with those first disciples. It was no longer them living, but it was Christ who was living through them, and they were living for God. And it was all in response to this Jesus who loves us, and he gave himself for us. And when we meet this Jesus, and we encounter that love, and we encounter that grace— That is the most natural response, reckless, wholehearted following Jesus. And that's what I want us to think about this morning and to commit ourselves, the invitation to commit ourselves to Jesus this year. So as we come to the passage, this is one of my favorite stories, the calling of Peter. And I think in this passage, we see the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a wholehearted disciple. And there are three priorities that I want to invite us to take hold of specifically as a church and personally respond to uh, this year, this new year. And that first priority is to see Jesus on the throne, number one, Jesus on the throne. In verse 8, It says this, when Peter saw what had happened, he fell at Jesus' knees. Peter takes the posture of worship. If we just remind ourselves of the story, Jesus is by Lake Galilee. He often does ministry by Lake Galilee. He's teaching the crowds. He goes into a boat, uh, one of the disciples' boats, uh, to get better projection, I guess. And then after teaching, he tells Peter to put out their nets and the disciples to put out their nets to the other side. And the disciples have been fishing all night. They're probably feeling tired and grumpy and not really in the mood. But Peter says, I don't really understand what's going on, but because there's something about you, because you say so, I'm going to do it. And that's like the essence of faith. Sometimes we, we have a little bit of faith. We also have a bit of doubt, but the faith is enough. And Peter responds and he does it. And as they put their nets onto the other side, a miracle occurs, and their nets are bursting full. And how does Peter respond? He responds in worship. It begins, his journey of discipleship begins with an encounter. And it's a pattern that we see again and again through the Scriptures, encounter with God, uh, a revelation of who God is, a vision of God leads us into worship where we get on our knees and then it leads us into that place of a surrendered life. If you think of any character in the Bible that has done something notable for God, this would be the pattern we think of Abraham as he has that en- that calling with God that then shaped his life. We think of Moses and the burning bush, and Moses is, is asked to take off his sandals for this is holy ground. He has a revelation of the beauty and the wonder and the glory of God, and that changes everything for him. We see that with Isaiah and Ezekiel and the prophets. They have a vision. They have this encounter with God, which leads to worship, a true perspective of who God is, that then leads to a surrendered life. And this was the moment for Peter. And it transformed his life. And in that moment, it draws him on his knees. It draws him to the posture of worship, which was a posture that he carried throughout his life. His life was centered on the person and presence of Jesus. Um, guys at the back, if we could have that first, that second slide, that would be great. So, what does that mean? for us, to be a people with Jesus on the throne. I think it means about being a, a passionate community of worshipers and pressing in to the presence of God. Why do we want to be a, a passionate community of, of worshipers? Why do we want to be a people of the presence of Jesus? Because firstly, he is worthy. He is worthy Of our praise. And when we get a true perspective, worship is the most natural response. When we encounter God's love, a life of worship is the most natural response. But secondly, it's as we worship that we, the beautiful thing is that we encounter God more. We encounter more of His Spirit. We encounter more of His presence. Because Jesus today actually. Uh, is with us, particularly closely in the midst of his people. As We we often find that as we journey through worship, we come closer into his presence. And worship is a really helpful thing for that, as it kind of warms up our hearts, which feels relevant for this morning. I don't know how you feel often coming into church, but that first song of worship can feel difficult, can't it? And I want to say that worship's often a choice. We have to choose to engage. We have to choose to step in. And that first song of worship, as we worship, can feel difficult and we've got lots of things from the week in our minds. But as we continue in worship and we continue on that journey, slowly what happens to my heart is it begins to melt. And it opens up. It's like a sponge that opens up to the presence of God. Until so at the end of our times of worship, We're in that beautiful place of knowing the presence of Jesus, that place that our hearts were made for, and we don't want it to end, and we've got opportunities to really press into worship, to um, enact this value, if you like, um, on Sundays. That's why we place such a big emphasis on song worship and a journey of worship on Sundays, and we're going to have opportunities throughout the year, uh, nights of worship and prayer, just to say, Jesus, you are worthy. I've got loads of things going on in my life, but you're the one I worship. You're the center. You are worthy, and I want to spend time with you. Worship and prayer is the foundation of all we do as a church. Jesus on the throne. Okay, the second thing in this passage about being a disciple, Jesus made known. Jesus made known. And here we're talking about the priority of evangelism. In verse 4, we read, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, he was called Simon before he was called Peter, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And when Peter did, he couldn't cope with what happened. And this event is a picture of Peter's life. He was a fisherman that went from catching fish to catching people. And as we journey through Peter's life in the New Testament, we see this come true. And thousands of people give their lives to Jesus because of the ministry of Peter. And it all starts in this moment, this prophetic moment in Peter's life. I wonder if you've heard the story about the evangelist and a pastor who are out hunting. Uh, And suddenly, out of nowhere, a grizzly bear appears. And they sprint back to their their hut as fast as they can, with the bear in close pursuit. The evangelist gets there first, pulls open the door, and the pastor goes hurtling inside with the bear right behind, whereupon the evangelist slams the door shut from the outside. There is an anguished cry, and the pastor screams, What are you doing? To which the evangelist replies, I just bring them in. Once they're inside, they're your responsibility. I just like that story. and I wanted to share it this morning. But it's true, isn't it, that in the church, different people do have different gifts and passions. And while Peter clearly had the spiritual gift of evangelism, this call to be fishers of people to make Jesus known is actually the purpose of every believer. It's a little bit like when you take on a new job, you might sit down with your line manager, and they'll give you a job description. When we become a follower of Jesus, we have a new job description. We have new purposes in our lives. And one of those purposes is to make Jesus known. And we might think, well, can't my faith just be a private thing, a quiet sort of faith, where I don't need to bother other people with it? But the thing is, that's not how it works when we love something. Jesus puts it in this way. He says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want to encourage us to think of evangelism rather than being something awkward where we look down at our shoes when it's talked about, is actually simply putting words to what is on our hearts. And when our hearts are full of Jesus, then evangelism is the most natural thing in the world. Guys at the back, if we could have the second slide now, that would be great. Let me give you one example. One of the greatest loves in my life is pizza, uh, aside from my wife and children and Jesus, of course. Um, and um, when we first moved to Forest Hill, one of the kind of serious things that Lydia and I had to work out is the best pizza place in Forest Hill. And so we tried all sorts of different ones, and um, we have concluded that Bonner, I think, is that... Does anyone like Bonner here? yes. A few Bonner fans. We actually went there. Last, we went to the pub and ordered Bonner last night. It was fantastic. Um, but Bonner has to be my favourite pizza place. And so when it, anyone says they moved into the area or they're looking for somewhere to have pizza, I'm there. I'm telling them how amazing Bonner is. I'm telling them the menu. You can't shut me up about Bonner because the pizza is so good. And basically, that's what evangelism is. Except you're substituting pizza for Jesus. And we're saying that actually, this is what Jesus has done in my life. He's freed me from depression. He's healed me. He gives me strength when it's really hard at work. And we're just telling people how amazing Jesus is and what he does in our lives. And so if you want to be better at evangelism, then my advice is fall more in love with Jesus. And it will naturally flow out. But two practical things that we could do. Uh, Can you learn your testimony? of what Jesus has done in your life? Could you learn it so you could share it in a minute in a conversation with a friend down the pub or a colleague at work, something like that? What has Jesus done in your life? Maybe go away and think about that this week. Write that down. How could I share that with a friend? And then the second thing we can practically do is invite. We can invite people to come to Alpha. We can say, I'm going along Tuesday nights. There's going to be food there. Let's uh, have a conversation about the big things of life. And you know what? I think people are really open at the moment. My experience has been that people are actually keen to discuss whether there's anything more to life. With all the challenges that are going on in our world, is there hope out there? I think we live in a really exciting time, and we have this great opportunity. So who are we going to invite to Alpha? You can sign up this afternoon and then text a friend who are you going to bring along. So that's the second priority, make Jesus known. And then the third priority is Jesus being shown. Okay, they all rhyme so we can remember them nice and easily, Jesus being shown. And this is about uh, our lives increasingly reflecting Jesus in our character. This story was the beginning of Peter, James, and John's journey as disciples, And just like them, we are disciples. We're disciples of Jesus. And a disciple in Jesus' day was someone who was set on becoming like their rabbi as they did life with them, as they watched how they did things, not just hearing them once a week, but actually going around and it was caught as well as taught, doing life with Jesus and becoming like him. And in that culture, ordinarily, the best and the brightest students of Torah would continue into their teenage years. The disciples weren't that uh, of Jesus. They, had fallen, they hadn't passed the mark, so they'd gone and become fishermen. But the best and the brightest students would go and find their rabbi and ask if they could be that rabbi's disciple. And the rabbi would say yes or no, and that's how it worked. And they would start like an apprenticeship with that rabbi. Jesus does things completely differently, as he often did. And he goes and looks for people that he wanted to follow him, and he finds these fishermen who are not the best and the brightest, which I always find very encouraging. When I look at the disciples and all the mistakes they made and how clumsy they were and their lack of faith so often, I find that very encouraging because it's so often true of me. And yet in Jesus' grace, he calls the disciples disciples. And in his grace, he calls us. And I want you you to know this morning that you were chosen, that you were called. It's not an accident that you're a follower of Jesus. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and called you to go and bear fruit. And that's what Jesus says to you this morning. It's no accident that you are here. And part of that calling as disciples is to change, to actually, as we grow in life, as we go forward in life, we become more like Jesus. Our character should change. Things should change. And I want to ask this morning, who are you becoming? As you look back on 2023, did you become more like Jesus? Uh, As you look ahead to 2024, do you want to become more like Jesus? And the thing is, at New Year, we so often get caught up with resolutions and goals and lots of doing. But you know what? Actually, who we become is so much more important than what we do. Who we become is so much more important than what we do. And the key question, the central questions of discipleship is, am I becoming more like Jesus? Because everything then flows from that discipleship is about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did, like healing the sick, bringing the kingdom of God, and then helping others do the same. That is the essence of discipleship, and that's one of the things we're going to be pressing into this year because the world needs more people that look like Jesus in character, who carry the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Doesn't this world just need a little bit more kindness sometimes? As we think about dialogue on social media and um, the, the atmosphere that's around, what a wonderful thing to have a few more kind people in the world. The world is longing for people that are salt and light that look like Jesus. Your workplaces, your streets, we need, we're called to become like Jesus. But how do we actually do that? That's the big thing. We all probably think, yeah, or we might be happy to say, yeah, that sounds great, but how do we do it? And there are practices. Uh, in the old language, that are called spiritual disciplines, which enable those fruits of the Spirit to flow more freely within us, that help form us to become people who look like Jesus. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to be doing a series on those spiritual disciplines, which is all about really putting it into our routines so that we're shaped by the things we want to shape us and not by just haphazard life and our smartphones and the world around us. Could we pop that um, quote slide up, Um, Charles? Thank you. William Paulson said this, It's unlikely that we'll deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner, There will need to be some intentional commitment, some reorganization in our lives, but there's nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living, and that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. So we're going to be looking at the discipline of celebration, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of Sabbath, the discipline of receiving God's guidance, these practical things that we can allow, so we can allow more of God's presence in our lives and we can become more like Jesus. But here's a free practice for today, and I'll say it every week probably, but just spend time with Jesus every day. That is a great practice to adopt. And we've got um, some Bible reading plans here. You could take that away. You can start it today. If you're not doing that already, spend time with Jesus every day in the Scriptures and in prayer. I was having a coffee with uh, one church member this week, and uh, he was telling me he gets up at 5.30 in the morning um, before his kids get up just to make sure that he's got that time to be with Jesus, because that then shapes everything else. What do we need to do to make sure that we have this time with Jesus. Jesus being shown. As disciples, we expect to become increasingly like Jesus, reflecting Jesus as the fruits of the Spirit in our character and learning to do the things that Jesus did as we walk in the power of the Spirit, such as seeing healings and miracles. If we could go on to that last slide. Thanks, Charles. So, As you are sitting there probably thinking, when's he going to be quiet? Because I'm really cold. I really want a cup of coffee. Um, I'm going to draw into land now. You'll be pleased to hear. But I just want to end with this. You know, Peter didn't exactly know what was going to happen when he made that decision, that choice to follow Jesus that day. And he often didn't understand what was going on. Peter didn't understand why Jesus told him to put his nets to the other side. It didn't really make sense. Jesus was a carpenter as well. And uh, Peter didn't know what was going to happen when he left his nets on the shore and he went with this man that he had apparently just met. And often in, in life, It feels a little bit like that. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the year. The the world feels so chaotic, doesn't it, at the moment? We love to make plans. We have dreams. We have ideas. But we can't ultimately trust in a plan, but we can trust in a person. And that's my invitation this morning. That's my question, really. Will you trust him? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you surrender everything to him? Not because you know what's going to happen, but because you love him and you trust him and you know that he's good. And that as we grow in, disciples, uh, in discipleship, as we grow uh, in our faith, as we grow and put Jesus on the throne, as we make him known, uh, we commit to Jesus being shown in our lives, actually we become more alive. We become the people we were created to be and the world is changed. And we might be able to look back on 2024 that yes, these things did happen. Is that all right? So the invitation today is to put our trust in Jesus and surrender our lives to him afresh. Why don't we stand? We've got opportunity to do that.